I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to All Stats, aren't we? A podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Rambo gif of the podcast, badly judged and boiling piss. And I'm joined by the poet laureate of the podcast, Tom Woodhead, whose woods these are, I think I know, his house is in the village though. And finally, the real Sociedad fan reaction of the podcast. <laughs> Can't wait to see the back of him. It's Darren Driver. Darren, how are you doing? Oh, I'm very, very well, thank you. Yeah, I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed watching the, the Twitter tsunami uh, unfold today, John. <laughs> thanks for that momentary entertainment in a difficult day. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I wish I wish it had the same alleviative effect on me, but there we go. Tom, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Feeling a lot better. <laughs> Good. Right, well, let's get it out of the way. Let's talk about the tap transfer stuff. Um I don't really know what's going on with Diego Llorente. Uh, I think he's kind of our player now. It seems to be generally agreed that he is our player, uh, largely because no one else seems to want him. But <laughs> should, we, should we talk a little bit about Diego Llorente? Anyone got any thoughts on him? I'm sure you have, Darren, as our resident centre-back ex- expert. Yeah, I mean, his, his what I'd say is that is from the... I've, I've only kind of had a cursory look, but he's... His long passing with his right foot looks looks really, really good. What he's like in those defensive situations, which always worry me, um, where people can lose concentration and lose their man. I've heard a f- I've heard a few things which I'm going to have to look into, which which kind of look a bit concerning to me. But you know, I'll 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 judge him when he's here, like like I do with most players. Scouting is not my my thing, really. It's just what I leave to you guys. Mm. <laughs> in terms of how he's going to fit in. And the mm. logic behind um, where you see him in the squad. How do you see that? Yeah, I, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because we, obviously we, we've we've signed Robin Cock for the for the right hand side of of, of the defence, and and I think Lorente will, will be in competition with Cock. I don't I don't really think there'll be a, a kind of an immediate pecking order. I, I, I think Cock will play for quite a, a chunk of the early season, just just by dint of the fact he was here first and he's got the shirt, but. Um, and I, th- I think obviously it gives us a little bit more flexibility when we're going into a three. Um, although that would see Luke Aylin move to the right wing back position rather than the right sided centre half slot, which is which is where where I kind of like to see him. So I think it does it does afford us that little bit more flexibility and it does give us a bit more cover. It also means that we're not signing a player to compete directly with Pascal Stroik for the for the left sided centre half slot, which was one of the things I was a little bit worried about when we were looking at Guardiol. Um, so from that point of view, I'm happy because I think Pascal has has played has done really well when he's been given his chance, um, and and he's a player I'm really keen to see develop. Tom, what are your thoughts on the whole centre back situation? Based on really not that much at all, other than a few breathless runs out of defence, I was really a big fan of the idea of signing Guardiol. He just looked exciting, and I, I aesthetically just really like it when defenders run out of defence with the ball. But um, uh, it's yeah, it's it's a hard one to gauge, isn't it? Because it does seem like quite a lot of money for someone who may or may not be starting. Um, it's I, I'd be really interested to hear 
someone for like I guess Bielsa doesn't normally comment on this kind of thing, does he? But like to hear what the club actually have in mind for this player and what and why they've signed him because. I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily think it's a bad signing. I mean, he looks like he's a good player, but it's it's whether is he better than Koch? Is he worse than Koch? Is he about the same level as Koch? I, I I've I've definitely not watched enough of him to have a good opinion on that. But um, mm. I it, it you know it gives us options, and it now makes me wonder um, who's now the first choice backup if Phillips is injured or suspended in that defensive midfield position because we've now so got a cool. lot of defenders who have played in that defensive midfield position before. So I'd be interested to see if Phillips, you know, got injured or suspended, who would play there? Would it be Strikes? He's done it a few times. Mm. Would it be Cock because he played half last season in central midfield? Mm. Or would it be um, Lorente? Because I, I, I know less about this, but I think he has played in that position as well. So I thought that was an interesting thing that got that's raised by, you know, the culmination of signings and Strikes um, emergence. I think that's a really good point, Tom. I think I think the one thing we will miss that Ben White brought last year was that ability to to kind of beat a man under pressure from the back and kind of release us into into space a little bit. I, I think I think Lorente looks like someone who can carry the ball, but I don't I don't think he's going to be someone who can can dribble and, and create space for for midfielders in that in that in that same way. So I'd be really interested to see how he fits in. But I, yeah, I'd reserve judgment on him really until until I've seen him in in the Leeds team. Yeah, so I've got a few things that I would say to that. Firstly, like, I spent a lot of time watching Llorente play yesterday and um, I do think he's a he's a centre-back who's very good on the ball. He will be on rushing strikers and get around them. He's not going to dribble in the same way that Ben White does in the sense that with Ben White, you get the sense that he really wants to uh, penetrate into an opposition midfield. Whereas with Llorente, I got the impression that he's good on the ball, can take it round a player and then will quickly look to move it on. I saw maybe two or three examples of him um, actually driving the ball through midfield, but um, not very many at all. Um, but yeah, I think he's he's a brilliant he's brilliant on the ball. He's very good, at, like you said, at passing. He's got, I think he's got a decent mid range pass. Um, like he's not going to be making line breaking passes all the time, but he's got he certainly got that in his locker. Um, he'll be fine, I think, in in build up. He's very very good aerially, particularly from set pieces in an attacking sense. Um, but he does have this problem, which is that he um, clearly has fitness issues um, and it means he sort of sits a little bit deeper in the back line just to make up for that, um, which already sets you, which already worries me in terms of like, if you're going to play in a man marking system and you need to get like five yards between yourself and the player that you're marking in order to get a run, um, that's not going to be ideal. Um, and he's also like, he's also a little bit Cooperish in that sort of, in that back, what I call backwards defending when you're running back towards your goal. Um, he, he gets got around very easily just because of pace, uh, because he's clearly like had injury issues and is a little bit slow off the mark. Um, so yeah, with those things in mind, I think he'll be a fine backup for, for centre back. Um, but in terms of what we were talking about um, on online today, which is about the logics of these of these moves, um, I guess w- with w- we were talking a little bit about like what's we've gone from a situation where we were told we only needed one centre back, Bielsa didn't want another centre back, to bringing in two centre backs um, for quite a lot of money in the same position to challenge for the same position in Robin Koch and uh, Diego Urente. Um it's not entirely sure which one will be preferred over the other in, ter- in a starting sense, but surely this is exactly the sort of situation that we were told Bielsa doesn't want, where he's got players who want to be starting but aren't starting. So how how are we going to get around that, Darren? <laughs> you threw me a real uh, a real dirty a real <laughs> hospital pass, there, John. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate. that's all right. Um, it's an interesting thought because because throughout the t- my time on this podcast we've bemoaned the fact that he's been a centre back short short of where we wanted him to be, mm-hmm. and and I think I think we need to kind of recognise that 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 he that that's now it's seemingly being remedied and 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 I'm and in a sense I'm really pleased about that, um it, it but it only puts us in the same position we had last year in the sense that that we had Berardi as as backup and then and then some younger players around as as a second. Um, mm-hmm. second or third choices for positions. So, do you not I, think the emergence of strike as a first team player changes that? 
I guess it does. I guess it does. But from the from the clips that I've seen of of Llorente at, at left centre back, he really doesn't look as comfortable as he does on the clips that I've seen of him where he's playing on the right. Mm. So I th- I think now what I'm saying is you were saying that we look like we're at the same position we were like when we were bemoaning oh, the lack of a third yes. centre back. But we have one who's emerged from the youth team now to be a first team player. So that is an extra player. True, but when we had three centre backs last year, we were saying we wanted a fourth one. So um, which, which I I kind of. Is, is is a position that I sort of stay with that, albeit we, we have been told all along that Bielsa doesn't want that that extra player sitting around. So I think it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting to see how, how we manage that. And and as you say, the you know, the the, the two centre backs that we're signing are, are two of the three most expensive centre backs we've signed in our history. Um mm. so it's it, you know, somebody's gonna have their nose put out of joint in all likelihood. And I, I think it's gonna be really interesting to see how that's managed. Particularly some of the stuff I've been reading around Lorente's personality where he's kind of I think there was a, a kind of sense that he was at Sociedad until he could get to a bigger club. So he's clearly got kind of quite a high opinion of himself on that level. Um so it'd be really interesting to see how he how he takes, you know, really having to fight for his place, possibly sitting on the bench for half a season. Pontus Lorente. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, we should mention the um, Rodrigo de Paul saga as well, because and again, something that we talked about, I've talked about today. I should own this, um, is that I don't understand the logic to a lot of what we're doing in the transfer market. And that does now. I want to be clear from the start that that doesn't mean to say that I think that these are bad signings. Um, I probably worded a few tweets badly today that people just sort of think that I'm saying that these signings aren't particularly. Um, Good. I don't think that's true. Um, what I mean when I talk about the logics of, of the signings is potentially, well, primarily to do with the what, what, what it makes the whole squad look like. And I feel like um, just looking at the squad now and the, and the signings that we've made, I feel as though we've not solved problems. We've just sort of created other problems in different areas. So R- Rodrigo Moreno, um, we've seen that he has to play basically as a striker. I don't think he's going to necessarily work as a 10. I don't think he'll necessarily, you'd, I don't think you'll necessarily get the best out of him on the right. Um, so the question then is like, how do how do we see him fitting in a team with Bam, where Bamford is going through probably what is the form of his life uh, at the moment? Are we just going to sort of keep him as a backup just in case Bamford goes off the boil? Um, and then when it comes to, to Robin Koch and Diego Llorente, to me, it just sort of feels like we've signed the same. Like we, they, it seems like we had two options, and we've signed both of them. And I think I would rather have had one of those two as a sort of starting centre back, and then I would have liked a younger backup player. And that's why we were all excited about Guardiola, because you don't have that issue of, of having to start him every week. Um, you can you can slowly bring him through, and then yeah. if he turns out being better than one of the other two centre backs or the other centre back, then you can you can simply replace him. And now we have a situation where we have two centre-backs of, I, I would say, probably about the same level. Um, and and again, I, I, yeah, fair enough, we will be playing three centre-backs uh, times this season. We probably will be this weekend. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean to say that you don't create a problem in trying to work out which one of those two is going to take priority over the other and still have to have to manage that. So, And then when it comes to Rodrigo de Paul, um, the, 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 the overlying, the underlying issue that I see is that we, we seem to have these sort of un unattainable um, transfer options who are like this is the ideal that we want to sign and then we spend a lot of time trying to sign those players so Ben White for example and then as soon as that falls through we jump immediately to buy just any it seems like anyone Um, no doubt we have a shortlist but it feels like there's there's a number of steps between going from someone like Ben White to then going to someone like Robin Koch um, and and someone someone like Vardiol to then going to someone like Urente. Um, now, those players have very, di- very different profiles. They're very different age profiles, and so I guess it, when I talk about players having different profiles, I kind of mean well. You, when you're drawing up a shortlist, you want to be saying what are the things that we're looking for. Here are five players that fit within that, and it just seems as though we're jumping around a little bit. Same with Rodrigo de Paul. It now seems that that's going to be unattainable. It's not going to happen, and we're just sort of like scattergunning a little bit around Europe, trying to find creative-ish midfielders in Italy or, or in Spain and, and, and try and bring those in. And so I guess my, my, my issue with, with the logics isn't so much saying that we don't need the players that we've got. I just kind of think in terms of the, the broader squad, we need to be thinking longer term and just and have a little bit more of a process behind it. Now, that's not to say there isn't a process behind it, but um, for me, on the outside, I, just, I, I struggle to see that. But, um, so that's just, 
that's just by way of clarification. But um, I've said a lot of things there. Tom, what's your um, immediate response to, to that stuff? Yeah, I guess regarding Cox specifically, we know that Leeds have been monitoring Cox for a long time and, and Orta was talking about him round about this time last year, actually, in an interview that he did um, uh, where he was saying, uh, this is a player that we can't get now because we're in the championship, but if we get promoted, then this might be a player we can get. So I think he was always going to be high on the shortlist for that reason alone. He's a player we've, we've been looking at for a long time. I sort of understand to a certain extent why they wouldn't be able to go for a play with the profile of Ben White because there aren't any really. Like, yeah, mm, I mean, we, yeah. we did go for one, Gvardiol. Like, we tried to get Gvardiol, and that is a player who, you know, does r- runs out with the ball from the back a lot. And I remember very early on in the window, we got linked with him. I can't remember the guy's name, but a centre-back from Lazio. And there may well have been nothing in that, but he seemed a similar player to mm. White as well. Um, I think a Brazilian centre-back from Lazio. I can't remember his name. Um, yeah. Um, so I think I think it's just hard. It's really hard to replace a player like Ben White because he's not similar to many other players. You don't get that many centre-backs who are quite so prodigious with their dribbling and, and with their uh, stepping into midfield, I don't think. So I kind of... I don't give the club a free pass on that, but I, I understand why it might be difficult to look for another player of that sort of profile uh, regarding the midfield thing. Yeah. I, I, I probably don't have enough insight into those other players to like really understand what's going on there. So I'll, I'll, I'll defer to people who know more about it than me. Yeah. The center back was Luis Felipe. I yeah. Think, that's the guy. Uh, yeah. Uh, Lancer, yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think you make some good, good points there. I wonder whether or not you would agree with this. My, my sort of theory and it, 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 it is just a sort of a cooked up theory is that we go for the player that Bielsa really wants. And then when that player doesn't turn out to, to materialise, we then go for someone who Orta wants. It just seems to be the way that the, the, the logic seemed to be going on this one. So um, I don't know if I, I don't know if there's any any logic to that. It's, it's a depressing theory, but it, it does <laughs> it does sound like it could be true. <laughs> as as I understand it, though, um, Bielsa wanted to sign Llorente when he was at Lazio, so may, maybe this is the one that they've given to, to shut Bielsa up moaning about him. <laughs> yeah, <it could be. laughs> that's true. Because I mean, yeah, um, Cock definitely seems like a, an auto pick. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is, like when Bielsa was at Lazio, I think Diego Llorente would have been a great signing. Um, <laughs> I don't think like, no one has any problem with with that sort of idea that he's a great player. Um, the, the, the thing that worries me is he again he's another player who's had injury issues yeah. and if you look at his under, underlying numbers they are dwindling in the last few few seasons and um, the question is whether or not that's just a, a, a sort of temporary blip because of various things off the pitch or whether or not those injuries have had a long term effect on his profile and like again that's a risk that you take but we're paying a lot of money for that risk um, I mean we paid 18 million for Rio Ferdinand like and I, I think that that's Obviously, it's a long, long time ago, but it's a, it's a lot of money to be spending for a um, quote-unquote backup centre-back or third-choice centre-back or whatever we want to call it. I but. suspect that um, Bielsa is an eternal optimist, isn't he? And I suspect that he probably <laughs> thinks that almost every single player we sign could be made into one of the best players yeah. in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it should be mentioned as well, that, and I mentioned this on, on the Twitter account as well, that you know Marcelo Bielsa hasn't had a, a club or a squad to work with for more than two years. And that means that largely the players that he's made great are players who've already been there. Now, that's not to say that we could sign some bang average players and then they turn out to be really good. I, I think that's, that's probably true. Um, but at the same time, I don't think that we should therefore just sort of aim to buy whoever we can get and just hope that Bielsa can make them good I think that our recruitment process should be a little bit more complex than that um, and the other thing is as well I, like just because Bielsa obviously is one of the greatest coaches in the world that doesn't mean to say he's one of the greatest recruiters in the world and the thing that kind of annoys me about the the um the the Radrizzani regime at the moment is that we, we we he started off with this sort of tripartite system he he cooked up where we were going to have Victor Orta as head of recruitment and Angus Kinnear as the CEO and then the coach was going to be very much working in tandem with those and at the moment it feels very much like that tripartite system just is is heavily lopsided towards Bielsa which is fine like obviously you, you give deference to Bielsa but the problem is as we always say when Bielsa leaves and we don't know when that will be. 
um, what's the state of the squad going to be like at the end of that and and I guess that's what's always at the back of our mind is that you can't just constantly have Bielsa digging you out of holes uh, with respect to your squad or whatever um, because at some point he's going to go and we don't want to end up in a position where we just sort of collapse a little bit after that happens I'm going to collapse a little bit after that happens yeah <laughs> me, me too well, we all are of course yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, anyway, now that the depressing stuff is uh, is out of the way, we should we should talk a little bit about the um, Sheffield United game. So this week I had the pleasure of talking to Anthony Adshead of S2 Stats, and this is what he had to say. Anthony, hi, how are you doing? Yes, not bad, John. How are you? Yeah, not so bad. You uh, recovered from the ignominy of, of last night. It wasn't the greatest result for you guys after the uh, early red card? Uh, this is true. It wasn't the greatest result. I'm kind of recovered. I'm having to be philosophical um, but I gather from the questions that you'll ask me you'll get an answer to that question hmm. in more um, in more length as we go on. Hmm. So it's your second season in the Premier League, how are you feeling about it at the outset? Well on the surface of things uh, not m- massively great so far um, having lost two games out of two in the league um, but at the same time arguably both of them have been uh, perhaps uncharacteristic in that last night obviously there was the uh, the red card and then against Wolves um, a, a crazy first six minutes in which we were two down um, before very long and, and you know that that just made things all the more difficult from there so I don't think I don't think necessarily that uh, the results so far, are representative of what we will uh, expect over the season. Do you think that Sheffield United are going to be underestimated this season off the back of these first two results? Off the back of those, it's possible that we could be underestimated. I would have guessed on the whole that uh, we may well have been overestimated, perhaps to some extent based on last season's performance, although um, obviously the you know we're going to come on to transfers in a bit. Uh, the tr- we haven't set the transfer market alight and, and, and aren't able to with the money that we've got. So that may have downplayed a lot of people's expectations. Last season, the underlying figures probably flattered Sheffield United last season. Does that worry you going into this season? I'm not sure I totally agree with the premise of the question there. In the, uh, at, at least with one figure, which is the defensive record, uh, United were, were very good. Um, until the restart after the lockdown, I think we were the second best in the league in defensive terms after Liverpool. Um, things went a bit awry after the restart, and I think we ended up fourth best in the Premier League in terms of defence. So, yeah. and even looking at what happened last night, I mean, we went, we went the, the there was the red card. And we were a ten men against a Villa team that spent 190 million over the summer. And for for the most part, did a very good job, and I think that's you know as, uh, probably one of the key strengths of of the uh, Sheffield United team that we can that we can look forward to. Also, I mean, I think that we'll come on to this when it comes to differences between United, Sheffield United, and Leeds United as we go on. I think that another another figure that's that's kind of on the low end with Sheffield United is the amount of shots we had. Uh, uh, last season uh, and we are at the low end of things there in terms of the Premier League but I think that the way that Wilder plays the game sets things up and well, and the way he's played things from the start I think it tends towards quite a good deal of efficiency in terms of the result you get from those shots um, but we'll come, we'll come back to that type of thing when we talk about how we play how was the summer for you? Are you happy with where the squad has ended up? Well, there you go. I'm umming and ahhing <laughs> straight away. Um, yes and no. I mean, I think that I think Ramsdale is a pretty reasonable replacement for Henderson. Uh, Fodderingham's obviously in there as a as a, a backup keeper. Um, the two young fellas from Derby. Um, I haven't. I didn't get to see the the uh, the Carabao Cup game last week, but I gather they're quick and lively and um, good footballers but we haven't seen them come into the team yet Oliver Burke does look very good just his one little contribution last night showed the pace he got and the nous to 
to deal with to to get the ball through four Villa defending players um, for the for what became the missed penalty chance. Um, and Ethan Ampadu is obviously a, just a, a very accomplished footballer, and I suspect we'll talk more about him as we go on through the podcast here. So you know, I think you know what we're what we're actually looking for is a bit more pace up front, and Ollie Burt provides that. Um, but I'm pretty sure that Wilder wants more. Despite bringing players in over the summer in the Premier League, at least you've stuck to last season's starting eleven for the most part, or at least players that you had last season. Uh, which of the new players do you expect to break into the side in the next few months? I would expect Ampadu to get in there, and he might get in there sooner rather than later. Um, we're going to have to talk about what uh, Chris Wilder will do um, in the wake of uh, John Egan getting a red card. I don't know what that means in suspension terms. I think it's, I'm not sure if it's one or two and whether it's served straight away, but Ampadu could be one of the replacements that goes in there straight away. Um, Oliver Burke, I think he is very, very likely to be uh, straight in as a, a replacement in terms of uh, the rotation for, for the forward line. This season, Ollie Norwood has been replaced by Sander Berger um, in, the, in the sort of more deep-lying role in the midfield. Do you think this is a good move by Wilde? Do you think it will stick? Is this going to be something that we see on a regular basis? I think it could stick because Sander Berger is a great player. Hmm. I think it might not stick necessarily because Ollie Norwood is also a great player and he does things that Berger doesn't and Berger does things that Ollie Norwood doesn't. It's always been a bit of a puzzle to me exactly where Berger's going to fit when you've got a player like Ollie Norwood that's so good and so been has been so instrumental to Sheffield United since he's been here. Um, but it's also been one of those things that Chris Wilder has always seemed to have done since he's been here, which is to to bring in players that are pretty obvious replacements for players that are already there. Obviously, to some extent, that's to create competition. But it also creates, and it must create, a hell of a headache for him and um, Alan Nil in terms of selection. So I think Ber- I think Berger's great. He could do the job if Ollie Norwood wasn't there. But Ollie Norwood is also a fantastic player. Let's talk about the tactics. Um, obviously, tactically, a lot has been made of Chris Wilder's three-five-two, especially the overlapping centre backs. But I think it's unfair to reduce his uh, his tactical nous to to that particular um, outlier. Could you talk us through the basic system that Sheffield United play? Yeah, sure. So it is essentially a kind of three-five-two. Um, I mean, there might be there obviously. You know, in reality, it doesn't uh, necessarily always sit like that. Um, quite obviously, too. You know, if we're defending, it drops back to a five-three-two, or even sometimes it looks more like a four-four something-something, um, which I think has more balance. Um, the overlapping centre backs thing. I don't think there's any rocket science to it. You know, some people. You know, say, oh, well, you know, by rights, in theory, you should get absolutely smoked on the counter. Um, that doesn't happen because um, generally, uh, and it has been, Ollie Norwood has been the one to stay back. So if 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 Jack O'Connell goes forward, or if uh, Chris Basham goes forward, there's there's a there's a midfielder sitting in there to take their place. Um, I think the thing that possibly does escape people's notice if they're more casual observers is that I think that what we see a lot of at United when um, when we're playing on the front foot is is what you might call a kind of high wide overload mm. in that um, a lot of play will take place in the kind of you know in that final third and on the flanks a lot of passing around overloading by our midfield against the opponent's midfield and the aim is to try and create balls into the box that are going to do some damage not just any ball not just slinging things in but trying to get balls into the box that that are kind of precise now that hasn't always that that hasn't always been possible in the premier league it was probably it was something that massively characterized sheffield united mm. in in the championship and below um, it's become less easy to do as we've um, as we've uh, found out in the Premier League. And early last season, there was a real evolution 
um, which I know you were going to ask me about actually, and that was the thing. I think I think early on, Chris Wilder and Alan Neil tried to play the same as they had done in the divisions below, um, pressing, pushing the opponents back against um, into their final third, and and playing a lot of passes around, trying to get the right ball in. Now that just, I mean, we could see it happen early last season against experienced and um, very competent Premier League defences. You just couldn't do it. You just couldn't, you, you know, these guys would sit there all day long and just bat away anything that came in. So a lot, what what, what tended to happen was that we've gone to becoming, in some circumstances, more of a counter-attacking team. Hmm. And that, refer, that relates back to the the transfers that we were talking about earlier that at, at the forward end of the pitch in that what we need is is speed there are times when or there have been times when Chris Wilder has um, brought out uh, Billy Sharp to play but that tends to be only ever against sides that are going to sit back in around their own box but it won't be against a lot of the other teams where we need to kind of make up that space very rapidly between our defending in our half and getting into the opponent's box. So Bielsa and Wilder have faced off against each other within recent memory. How do you think Wilder will approach the Leeds game? Do you think the fixtures will play out similarly or do you think there will be a difference to them? The most memorable recent one for me was the one out of Leeds that kind of, you know, obviously that's memorable because it kind of, really helped cement our promotion Mm. Um, and that was very much a situation similar to the type of situation I've just alluded to in that we went we played Leeds intending to soak up Leeds pressure and get some opportunities on the break and that's what happened and that's what panned out and you know it succeeded I I wouldn't be surprised to see quite a bit of the same happen again. I think I think that we would expect to soak up quite a bit of Leeds pressure. I think Leeds have already shown, without being too familiar with the real details of how you play, I think Leeds have already shown that, you know, their goals against Liverpool, for example, Leeds have shown that they're very capable of pressing, very capable of moving the ball around themselves, very capable of pressing an opponent high and creating chances although there were fewer chances than one might expect against Liverpool for Leeds. Um, so I would expect that Sheffield United would expect to get pushed back by Leeds for some of the game. Having said that, I also think that... And there might be a kind of a a, a way that United Sheffield United play that, that, that utilises kind of phases of... You know, we, if, we're, if we're pushed back, we'll sit back and we'll try to play on the break. If the ball's in a certain part of the pitch, in the sort of final two-thirds of the pitch, I think we will attack the opposition and try to create things. And um, in those situations, I think you can see the, the the push high, play on the flanks, try and work the ball into, into good positions in the box type play. So I've probably given you a a really woolly answer there but I think we will I think we'll play on the break when we have to I think we'll push up against Leeds when we can I don't know how to say much more than that without (laughs) sounding as if I'm trying to cover all the bases Do you think the Leeds fixture offers you a good benchmark for how far you've progressed in the Premier League given the 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 two teams were fairly evenly matched in in that season where you got promoted it's hard to say I don't know because I don't know what Leeds are going to be like in the Premier League you could you could do really well. You could be really leaky. Um, you could, Leeds could be, as I say, you got chances against Liverpool, but in actual fact there weren't that many and you had quite a high success rate in mm. terms of the shots you did have. So I don't know what I don't know quite what Leeds are going to be like yet. I don't know if I don't know if Leeds can can. I think they might have to they have to learn. They might have to learn in the way that Sheffield United did that they can't necessarily play in the same way as they did in the Championship. Um, you know, the number of goals going either way at the moment might indicate that that could be the case. Mm. So it's always hard. You know, is there a good benchmark? I, I, I you know, I would, I would only judge things over a range of games against different opponents. Sorry, another woolly answer. Another. <laughs> bunch of caveats but you know just playing Leeds doesn't tell me everything I need to know 
Obviously, John Egan got sent off this week against Villa. You've already suggested that maybe Ethan Ampadu will be brought in. Is there much of a selection headache for Wilder there? I don't know exactly whether Ampadu would be the replacement. He could be. Um, one of the other centre-backs could shift over. Um, Basham could shift over. Or O'Connell could shift over. But having said yet said that, they're the kind of attacking options. He could put Ampadu... I must say that... Um, just point out that John Egan is the stay-at-home centre-back of the of the three of them. So anybody that replaces Egan is going to be probably in the stay-at-home role. So there is Phil Jagielka, who obviously, while not young um, and, and therefore less mobile, is suited to the stay-at-home role. And obviously got a great deal of nous. You know, there, there might have been a certain level of intelligence up top that may not have got him into that situation yesterday against Villa who knows um so I think Egan's got got options you know I'm oh, sorry I think Chris Wilder's got options in a, in the form of Jagielka and or Ampadu for this for this position so apart from that how do you expect the Blades to line up on Sunday I think the key area where there could be any changes and I don't necessarily think there need to be is in the kind of the cent- the more central midfield three in other words, Ollie Norwood could come back in. That could mean that Sanderberger's is on the bench, or it could mean that Sanderberger replaces Lundstrom. Um, up front, I would expect either the two Ollies, namely uh, Burke and McBurney, to start, or possibly, like last night, Ollie, Ollie Burke and David McGoldrick. And which players do you think will need to perform well if you're to get a result against Leeds? So the obvious answer is all of them, um, <laughs> but in particular, I mean, I, but I'm very, very, I'm very confident, even after last night, that our defensive play is pretty solid, that we can do a good job there, and that if we are pushed back by Leeds, that we will um, frustrate them. Um, I noticed Villa last night had something like 18 shots, and it was only a very small amount of those were on target. Um so where I think the, that Sheffield United really need to, to, to perform in ways that they possibly haven't so far is in that the more creative end of things, which is John Fleck um, breaking things up and well all the, the, the midfield three stroke five, it's those that really have to be on top four and you know breaking things up, creating things, creating chances. You've said that you're a fan of woolly answers. Uh, I don't ask for predictions, so you'll be happy to hear that. Uh, but I do ask, how do you expect the game to go in terms of the flow of it? Lots of pushing high from Leeds. Um, some attacks on the counter from Sheffield United. There will also be some periods where we break up Leeds' play and create higher, more sustained chances. Um, I think... Overall, though, you know, just in terms of blind predictions, it's it's possibly the time that Sheffield United are going to get a, a better result. It, it, it's simple. It, it just it just would be awful, unlucky to lose three on the bounce. I don't think it will happen. I hope it won't happen, <laughs> but uh, I can't really say more than that. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for coming on. Hopefully, you'll be able to enjoy the game on Sunday. Yeah, hopefully we'll do. So thank you, John. Thanks for having me on. And if uh, if anybody wants to check my stuff out, I'm on Twitter at, at S2Stats. Um, not a great deal on there so far this season, so far, but uh, the, the stats work will be ramping up as we get stuck into things after a few games. Well, thanks very much. Okay, John. Thanks very much. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So that was Anthony Adshead of S2 Stats. Darren, what did you make of that? Well, first of all, I absolutely cannot believe that Phil Jagielka is still playing. That's my that was that was my first takeaway from it. Um, and and the other thing that that really kind of st- um, struck home with me was was the uh, was the idea that that Sheffield United will try and um, really take advantage with width. And and I, I think that certain points of the Fulham game showed that we will struggle if teams are able to get in behind our centre backs and if they are able to overload. Um, the full-back areas, particularly the left-back area, um, I don't, um, then then I think we, we we may run into some problems. But overall, I, I sort of feel like um, it'll it'll be it'll be a game where much more like our championship games, where where we're kind mm-hmm. of pushing towards pushing pushing on and 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 really playing on the front foot. Um, just just from the things he said, I don't see a huge amount of development in, in the Sheffield United tactical plan or team at all. Tom, what's your gut response to, to what you just heard? Yeah, the the overriding thing that I got from it as well was the all the talk about width. And um, it's basically two teams that, that like to play at the sides of the mm-hmm. pitch, isn't it? So it's going to be interesting yeah. to see what happens with the middle of the pitch because paradoxically, that's probably where it's going to be won even though both teams are going to be attacking the sides. So, um, yeah. I'm interested to see how much Sheffield United have changed since we last played them because I only watched them a little bit last year and I, and my perception even during the year that Sheffield United got promoted and we missed out was that they got more and more pragmatic as the season went on. They At the start, they were a lot more attacking um, and towards the end of the season, they did an incredibly good job of um, scoring a goal and then... Uh, becoming a bit more defensive and being incredibly solid. Um, yeah. and, and and the main di- and, and talking about that width, the main difference that, as I see it, and it, it could well be bollocks, is that we attack wide and we defend wide. And we attack and they attack wide but they defend narrow. They try and stop yeah. people from going through the middle. Like and, and we, we we have to defend wide because our defensive structure is the opposition's attacking structure effect effectively so you know they they can afford to funnel opponents into a narrow Mm. space and we can't do that because we're man marking yeah that's that's interesting i watched back our um home game against sheffield united from uh 18 19 season and it was really really interesting actually um it's well worth doing actually watching a sort of game that you think that you remember and um and then it turns out you yeah. don't remember. One of the things I didn't remember about that game, interestingly, this is just completely tangential, but was um, Kiko Casilla gets sent off at the end and Pablo <laughs> Pablo Hernandez is desperate to go in goal. <laughs> <laughs> and then Pontus goes in, does he? Yeah, Pontus goes yeah. in because his Pontus knees are buggered. In, yeah. But like, yeah. that, I think that's the only thing that stops Pablo from going in. And it's just so funny because you, I think I, I think he might even have the shirt on at one point. Um, and he just looks yeah, t- absolutely that. tiny. Um <laughs> And yeah, you know that was a that was a, that was a funny aspect of it. But yeah, I think yeah, you're right. I think your your instinct is right that they were very pragmatic in the sense that they they sort of hit back. That they sat back and they sort of tried to hit us, decompress quite quickly, um, using width. The, the way they use width is really fascinating. Everyone goes on about their overlapping fullbacks, um, sorry, centre backs, and 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 obviously that's kind of interesting. But it's the fact that they're able to get sort of three players into wide areas and then move their central midfielders across. Um, so they they're very good at overloading on either side, which obviously we do too. But they they're a lot more balanced in that they can overload on either side uh, and can cause problems from there. It's definitely going to be an interesting um, match from the point of view of the man marking system because uh, I, th- I always think a 3-5-2 is quite a tricky one for the for us to deal with um, in terms of in terms of our structure um, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit before we get to that um, Tom how do you feel about the fact that um, sorry if, if Liverpool was a free hit and Fulham was a must win what how do you feel about this game what is the nature of this game and how should we be approaching it it's it's the first normal game, isn't it? It's the first um, regular Premier League game that it could go either way. Well, I mean, Fulham could have gone either way, but it feels like 
okay, these are the meat and potato meat and potatoes games, and it's in games like this that make the difference between seventeenth and tenth. Mm. Um, so it feels like every single game I've got a new reason to be nervous, and this is just <laughs> you know the first of well the third of many. Yeah. Oh, Darren, you're not a man to feel to feel nervous about these things. So, please give us some positivity before before this game. It's going to be fine. It's going to be <laughs> fine. I, I, I don't. I, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, whether we win, lose, or draw, it'll be fine because you know I, I approach these things mindfully. Hmm. Um, but um, <laughs> I, I, I think that ultimately, you know, we we will go into this game with with a lot of confidence. Um, I, I think we'll be playing an opponent that that. Although they do break wide into wide uh, break into wide areas and try to do so quickly, I don't think they're the most dynamic team we're ever likely to face. I think I think they they will will play to much the same tactical plan that they did in the championship, albeit as you said, with with a bit more of a kind of defensive defensive edge. So I, I feel like we can go into the game with a lot of confidence. Um and Ultimately, it'll be the same Bielsa approach as it always is, which is we're going to go there and we're going to try and win. And 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 I'm really looking forward to it. Do you feel good about the fact that we've already played Sheffield United under Bielsa? Do you think that gives us maybe a bit more of an edge than it might do against other comparative teams to Sheffield United in the division? Possibly. I mean, I th- I think it, obviously we we've experienced the the overlap in centre back routine before. Um, and in fact, one of those overlapping centre backs was the, the 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 player that scored against us, if I recall correctly, it was Chris Basham, wasn't it? Mm. Um, so I think I think that that might give us some some insight. Um, but ultimately, I, I know that he will have done his research on on the Sheffield United of today and not be relying on the information that he, that he got two years ago. Um, so I, th- I think it might make a marginal difference, but but overall, it's it's the scouting work and the and the research work that he'll be doing right now that that will will see us right. I think. Mm. I think it makes more of a difference the other way around, in my opinion. I I think Wilder's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder about Bielsa. Mm. Um, as much as I think Wilder's a really good manager, um, he 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 seemed really upset um, in the season they got promoted. Um, about not getting as much credit as Bielsa, despite mm. the fact that he won LMA Manager of the Year or whatever it was, um, and I think I don't know how that will affect his preparation for the game, but I wouldn't be surprised if if it affected it in some way. Like he's telling mm. his players, L- "Listen, you know we're not going to have this guy beating me because you know everyone thinks he's great and we don't get any credit." Blah blah mm. blah. So I'd be interested in that. It could also work the other way in the sense that. Um, I think a lot of other clubs in the Premier League are just going to be completely w- blown out of the water, at least in the first match that they play as by the man marking system, because mm. so few yeah. ma- so few teams actually play that sort of system uh, regularly. Uh, I know that Jurgen Klopp made a point about it in some of the po- pre and post match interviews that he did. Um, whereas obviously Sheffield United have played against us twice, they know exactly what to expect. They've largely got the same teams. Uh, that played against us, so um, I'm sure they'll be uh, ready for us. Um, I've already mentioned the, the tactical elements to it, and I've I've said that I feel like this is going to be a battle um, around the the structure. And we've talked at length this week again on the Twitter account about the fact that um, the 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 basic blueprint for Bielsa is having a plus one superiority, so a man over at the back and then uh, a man less, uh, a minus one uh, inferiority at the front. Um, I think that's all well and good, but um, the question that raises is how how do you look at this game for formationally? Um, so yeah, Tom, how do you expect us to line up? Are we going to go with a back three, and or do you think we'll try a four-one-four-one? Every I think every time Bielsa has started with a four-one-four-one against two strikers, he's always said afterwards that he's regretted it. Like, uh, or, or it, it never, it, I never like it because. It does seem to leave us really exposed at the back when we do that, especially in build-up. So, but I guess the question is, if we do go for a three-three-one-three, he doesn't seem to like to change the personnel to do it. So, you know, do you know what I mean? He doesn't like changing who's in the team to accommodate the new formation. So mm. it's a question of who would play where, mm. and I'm not sure we have anyone in the current lineup who would play right wing back because Ailing would presumably go to third centre back. And then, yeah, who plays on the right wing back? So 
I guess it depends whether he considers that shape to be more important or whether he considers the personnel that have been playing to be more important. It's a funny one because watching back the game against Sheffield United at Elland Road again, um, it was it was weird because it, it almost seemed as though we were playing a full one four one. Luke Luke Ayling played as the sort of outside centre back on the right, but also Alioski just sort of looked like a, a left back who was maybe a little bit further forward. Um, Luke Ayling wasn't scared to go forward as the as the right centre back, and we played we basically played Pablo Hernandez on the right, and you know he's not a, a wing back in any sense of the word really. Um, so it may simply be the case that you know he'll play the personnel that he wants to play, and then we'll sort of shift into that three 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 one three as naturally as we possibly can. I'm with you. It's hard to know. It's hard to know with the, the right back situation or the right wing back situation what what he'll do. Yeah, I, th- I think especially last season, um, Luke Ayling was more more and more often as the season went on playing as a sort of hybrid centre back slash mm. right back even in games where we were playing four at the back I think like he would come they would make a sort of back three at the start at certain points in build-up not the very start but like the bit just after the start when Phillips steps up again Mm -hmm. Ailing would quite often come into a sort of slightly advanced um third center back position and then he'd go off on his big runs so Mm. I guess the, the longer that you play these tactics the less that the specific formation matters because yeah. you can introduce more subtleties and sophistications to it. Yeah, I think Bielsa must be of the opinion that he sort of has his personnel. They sort of know what roughly positionally they're playing, and he'll say to them, for example, to Calvin Phillips, "Look, we're going to be we're going to be sort, we're going to have one of our fullbacks dropping in on one of the centre forwards, so we're going to be a little bit like a back three. So you are going to have to cover in the fullback areas on either side of that. So just keep an eye on mm. that, and and you're still sort of playing the same system, but um, the structure is is just sort of situational. Um, the players won't be thinking of it in terms of those numbers; they'll be thinking of it in terms of the roles that they're playing." Yeah, I'm sort of wondering though whether whether he might bring Alioski to play the left wing back role, given how well he he did against Fulham, and also to kind of give um, give a bit of, bit of additional cover on that side and move Dallas over to that right yeah. wing back slot. I think I think that's probably the way that I I would want to see it go. I think if if anything, but um, it'd be really interesting to see. It makes logical sense to me. I just I can't remember a time when we've actually seen him change the personnel to play three at the back. There the, the may, the may well be a time, but I can't think of one. Well, well, we were largely doing that at the end of last season, right? I'm just, I'm just thinking, like, when we played 3-3-1-3 at the end, th- this is what impressed me so much with watching back that, that Sheffield United game from the season before last season, was that we were playing 3-3-1-3 completely differently to the way that we play it now. And that is because we had sort of Pablo yeah. as a floating wing-back. Whereas after that point, and this started in the pre-season last season against Cagliari, when we played Adam Forshaw as the right wing-back, as, and he sort of pretty much functioned as a as a center midfielder in in a in a sort of double pivot and then you have you have that central midfielder who then gives a bit of cover for the um for the right back so Luke Ayling can yeah. go forward he also is able there to help out in the build up play because he gives you another option um so i i think i'm with Darren and i think that we will see Stuart Dallas play to the right of of Calvin Phillips and then we'll we may even see Leif Davis weirdly as a as a left yeah. wing back because we saw him in that Cagliari game as well although he has been playing him as a as a center back in 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 games obviously but I I think Leif Davis is sa- is the safer option for me than Alioski. Alioski I just uh, Alioski obviously we've been is easy to be a detractor of but he's been very very good coming off the bench with 20 minutes to go because he's just the ultimate presser yeah. um and I would yeah. rather have him in that scenario than oh shit he's made a mistake in the left back position and we're going to concede I would much rather he came on and just ran around a lot and caused a lot of problems so uh, if I was pushed I would I'd probably do that maybe we'll see Barry Douglas as as the left wing back but uh, again it's it's hard to know what's going on with him I guess the other possibility is we have seen at times Harrison basically Mm. having the entire left wing to himself yeah and as far as I know Sheffield United tend to attack more down the left than down the right Mm. so that might make some kind of sense to overload the right on our side a bit and then just mm. have uh, Harrison looking after the left on his own. And then what do you do? Do you have Costa going across on the left and then Hernandez on the right? Hernandez is going to be out, I think. He's definitely out. I've seen. We um, don't know that, do we? I, I, thought I'd seen, I thought I'd seen a thing where I think either Graham or Phil had reported that they're expecting him to be out for the weekend as oh, well. Right, okay. That certainly makes it interesting. So that would suggest that Harrison will have to play as as the left winger then. 
because we don't really have any other No, no, I mean, what I'm talking about is when we don't play a left winger. We, there was quite a few times yeah. last season when we didn't play a left winger at all. Well, well, we did. It was Harrison, but he also played left back. Like this happened three or four times last season where we just had Harrison covering the, the entire left wing to himself. We had the right wing like with an extra player, essentially. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of, of those situations because there was, I know that we did it occasionally. We, we tried out a 3-5-2 a couple of times. I know we did it against, I think, Salford and we also tried it against uh, Brentford because we were trying to get Bamford and Enketia uh, in the same team. Yeah, I think it's mostly been when Dallas is playing this. Well, as as the, yeah, there was the times when we played the three five two, but yeah, there were a few times when Dallas played almost essentially. He was at left back occasionally, but he spent more time on the right wing yeah, than yeah, he did yeah. on the left and wing. And then and Calvin that, Phillips can drop in into that space as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's an option as well. But then I guess that means that we're going to have to have pff, Tyler Roberts or Rodrigo or. Probably yeah. none of these things will happen, right? Yeah, It'll we've not be... mentioned Shackleton, to be fair. Shackleton <laughs> yeah. is, is, I think, the perfect player to play as that sort of shuttling right wing back. Yeah, I agree. No, yeah, that's 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 a good shout. But again, like we have no, no idea what will happen. <laughs> well, I think I think we're more likely to see Alioski and Dallas than we are to see Shackleton just because he seems to in, implicitly trust Alioski to, to start games and to play more minutes, whereas yeah. Shackleton seems to be in the five, ten minutes at the end sort of... Uh, range at the moment so yeah yeah I guess it all depends on like whether or not he's happy playing Dallas in that right wing back position and then yeah and then using one of the other left backs um yeah but yeah it'll certainly be be interesting in that respect the 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 other question then is um given that we've talked about the minus one inferiority against a back three is going to be how is the high press going to work um I, I did this I did the video last week um, at the video analysis of, of the Fulham game. And it almost looked like we were trialling out a little bit of a new um, press using... Because obviously Rodrigo played in the central midfield position and, and Bamford played as well. And they sort of did this sort of shuttling V-shaped press where where they would both end up either marking Harrison or the opposite centre-back to... Sorry, Harrison Reed or the opposite centre-back to Harrison Reed, And we saw it happening a few yeah. times where both players ended up tight on Harrison Reed and and not marking the centre-back and I wondered whether or not you know a similar thing might be happening and that was partly because Fulham had their centre-back so far apart it just wasn't worthwhile Bamford just head, headless ducking headless chickening headless chickening um, backwards and forwards between the centre-backs um, and I wonder whether or not we'll do something similar with with the, the three if we have Bamford going towards one and then one of the one of the eights pushing on the opposite sided centre-back when the ball goes back across the the back three um, I don't know if anyone had any other thoughts on that yeah the other thing I wondered is whether the um, whether Costa and Harrison might alternate in terms of picking up Picking up that 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 side of the press and 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 make it into a kind of lopsided three five two, which is situational depending on which way the ball's going. Yeah, and I think that's definitely happened before in the past, right? Yeah, yeah, and and that was that was the one thing I was thinking when when you were saying Tom about playing Harrison on the left all on his own. I think that would preclude him from doing that no, that kind right of that, that yeah. situational press. Hmm. Right, let's get on to start talking about the actual game itself then. So, which I, I always ask this question because I'm interested, but which players do you think Leeds are going to have to um, have put in a good performance if they're going to get anything out about uh, against Sheffield United? Who are the who are the players that we're really looking forward to to turn it on? Um, we'll start with you, Darren. Whoever plays in the creative eight role, I think is going to have to really kind of kick it up a notch from where from where we've been so far so whether it's Rodrigo Moreno or whether it's Tyler Roberts and I suspect it will be either you know one of those two I think they're gonna have to get themselves much more involved in the game in that role than they've been able to so far for us to kind of break down uh, what's going to be a really difficult um, Sheffield United well-drilled Sheffield United shape to get through Mm. And I think we this is going to be the first game where we're not playing a team who's going to high press. So that should yeah. be really interesting in terms of our build-up play because we've been quite critical of the build-up play in the last two games. Uh, but obviously both teams were um, that we played against were trying to close down our build-up play. I don't think Sheffield United are going to try and do that so much. Um, so I think we should get a little bit more time and space on the ball in the central midfield areas. So it'll be interesting to see if there's any, um, any blowback from that. Um, Tom, what about yourself? Yeah, I mean... It, it, I think yeah, it will be lost, won and lost in the midfield. I think um, mm. uh, whichever team takes control of it, and and obviously the centre backs because I think we're going to have to look out for counters from them. And it's 
it, it feels like it's going to be a really tight game. Like I don't think there'll be many goals uh, despite all our Cavalier football so far. So yeah, yeah, it's going to be the, 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 one of the really the things I'm really interested by in Sheffield United is that they've signed Ollie Burke, um, who is a winger, I think mostly, but they're playing him at centre forward, and that seems like a really interesting. Um, evolution of their tactics to sign this in- essentially incredibly fast uh, player to play up front um, because far- hardly any teams have the luxury of playing with a front two where you can play a player like that up front um, just like someone who's just really fucking quick basically um, and yeah. uh, I think it's a possibly really good value signing for Sheffield United because it might be that he could work as a striker in that system better than he could work in any other position, in any other system. Yeah, agreed. One thing we haven't actually mentioned is um, with the man-marking system is who who takes the overlapping centre-back when they go forward? Is it going to be... And, and this is something, again, I noticed from the, watching the game back is that Bamford was just coming back loads uh, yeah. against, against Sheffield United. And I think, you know, we all know that teams who have centre-backs who run into midfield cause us problems. Sheffield United have got two centre backs who are going to be <laughs> essentially playing as wingers um, at times, and I guess I'm kind of interested to see how we deal with that in terms of the man marking system because there has to be some sort of flexibility because we have that um, inferiority up front. So we'll have two players pressing three. So yes, there's going to be a stay at home centre back, but um, there's always no one is technically marking man marking one of the out, either of the outside centre backs, and so. The question is going to be, how do you keep them under control? I almost wonder, would it be possible to have the two wingers on the centre-backs and Bamford instead would alternate between the main centre-back and the defensive midfielder? Yeah. Like, as, as that, that being his job rather than worrying about the outside centre-backs. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting one. I'm just trying to think of... Then you've got their wing-backs, so I suppose you put your wing-backs on their wing-backs... Which would yeah. change the which would change the sort of system of three three one three that we've been playing, um, and just I guess yeah leave the the inside centre back the centre centre back to his own devices and and have yeah I guess Bamford dropping in on Sanderberger or um, Ollie Norwood depending on who it is it may be the case that even that we start with with Rodrigo as the striker but I don't think that's that likely given that we kind of have a personnel issue in terms of other spaces so I would imagine that Bamford gets played as the as the striker but yeah it'd be interesting to see if, if Bamford does sit a bit deeper with the two wingers ahead of him anyway because that gives you a really nice way of uh, decompressing anyway if you're under pressure and um, we're, we'll obviously be um, quite dangerous on the counter-attack. Right with all that said how do we expect the game to unfold on Saturday Tom? Yeah, as I said, I don't think there'll be many goals. I think it's going to be very tight. And this feels like it's going to be a bit more like one of our, despite the fact that we just played Fulham, um, a bit more like one of our championship games against one of, one of the best teams in the championship. And I don't say that out of disrespect to Sheffield United, more that it feels like it'll be two teams going at it, but with slightly different philosophies in that I imagine we'll probably have a bit more of the ball. Yeah, it's just going to be awful as it always is. It's going to. I'm going to. I'm going to be sat there, stand. Well, I'm going to be mostly stood up, pacing the room, cursing every time anyone opens the door because there's a draft. Just, 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 just getting annoyed all the time. It's going to be awful. Are you a proper Yorkshire dad, Tom? Shut that fucking door. <laughs> In that way only. How about you, Dan? I agree with everything that Tom said. I think it's going to be really hard for. I think. I think although Sheffield United are. You know that they they've got the ability to play creatively and quite well. I think actually they're quite attritional in the in the Premiership, and I think it's going to be a really tough tough game for for, for us to get through. But I, I do think we'll come out of it with a with a hard fought close win. Well, there you have it. That's the all stats, aren't we? Preview of the Sheffield United game. We will be back on Monday with a review episode. Um, hopefully we'll have lots of good things to say. Housekeeping stuff, if you like our podcast and you want to get more of our content, head over to All Stats, aren't we, on Twitter and see what we've got going on over there. We'll maybe leave it a few days till things are quietened down. <laughs> if even after that you still want more of our content, we do have a Patreon, which is a subscription service which allows you to get bonus content that um, isn't available free to our other listeners so if that interests you well, we've just had a video go up 
um, on Monday looking back at the Fulham game, breaking it down tactically with match of the day style annotations on the video and commentary on that. Um, we've also put a podcast up today about uh, set pieces, which I believe Darren enjoyed. I did very much, yeah. I thought it was it was really, really excellent. You should all buy it immediately. <laughs> if that does sound interesting to you, head over to our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash all stats, aren't we? And have a look at what we've got going on over there. Three people who've done that recently are Charlie Hunter, Alan Ebbs and Neil. So thank you guys for joining us. And that means we're at the end of this podcast. So all that's left for me to do is to say thank you, Darren. Cheers. And thank you, Tom. Of course. And hopefully we will beat those blades. Have it. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.